All right, so this morning we actually are in the midst of a loosely fitted together uh, mini-series of sermons, and last week in the midst of uh, this mini-series, we're talking about ourselves as being the family of God, and looking at the Lord's church in this perspective, not only from this congregational standpoint, but really from a standpoint of looking at all of God's people. And there was a lot that we had to talk about with regard to how we perceive this family of God. Just as our brother Steve was mentioning, you know, we're all at different places in our walk with the Lord. And, and very interestingly enough, it's those very differences that can cause growing pains. And every church has them. And so when we're looking at that, we... We talked about some ways in which we deal with those differences when those differences arise. Not a matter of if, but when they arise. But this morning, what I wanted to do is transition from that. I'm actually going to talk a little bit about that again in light of the lesson this morning, but I won't overlap too much. But I'm wanting us to see the whole purpose of what we're doing as we gather together as a family of God. I believe the scriptures are abundantly clear. It's lessons that you've already heard but something that needs to be reminded for us to continue in our walk with the Lord. And that is, we have a purpose of being this family, right? Number one, very clearly, we were given the charge to go out and share the good news of salvation. That's what everyone in the body of Christ has as a very vital aspect to the work of the church. I mean, think about that. Right? Even though this was primarily given to the apostles, it is the extension of that that we see this multiplication effort going on because the very people who heard the gospel themselves shared it with others. No one is exempt from that. It's not a matter of, of responsibility and duty and what have you. You get to share the greatest message this world has ever had and will ever have. There is nothing greater than sharing Jesus as good news. Unfortunately, sometimes we look at it as a laborious job that, oh, I got to go talk to people, otherwise I'm not a good faithful Christian. We miss the whole point of what Christianity is when that's the case. And so if we can look at it from that standpoint that we seek and save lost souls as we ourselves were once lost and had been saved, we share that good news with others. And the other one, and I want us to read this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, is this ministry, this service that we have to one another. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. This passage is also widely read, but not nearly as much as the passage in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. So read with me from Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, and notice in the midst of this paragraph what is being said. He, speaking of Jesus, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and teachers, some pastors, excuse me, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the perfect or of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of cunning men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but 
speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's a beautiful passage. Without getting into all the background and all the imagery that was leading up to this text, the bottom line is the Lord's church as a family and as a body of believers with all kinds of different abilities, different talents, different functions, work together for one cause. Not only to reach the gospel to those who would become part of this body, but to build this very body up. That's what we have. And brethren, before we actually get into the sermon, let me just be very abundantly clear. We do this extremely imperfectly at times. We fail at this. That's just a reality because we get in the way of ourselves. But that's not meaning that we don't strive for this. I believe the effort is there and, and we, we often do this. The reality of us not striving is obvious because in the body of Christ, there are moments in which we say things to offend one another. We do things to sin against one another. And ultimately, that's why we have some brethren who have left. That's why we have fractures and divisions within the body of Christ when we speak of congregations. Those are realities. They're not fun to say, not fun to admit, but they happen. What does it mean when we're talking about this body of believers with this work as far as knowing what to do, right? Sharing God's word, building up the same. We know that. What does it take to actually have that success where the body actually grows, where we're actually fulfilling this in a more consistent way throughout our walk? That's what I want to focus on this morning. And the passage that was read for us um, by Steve in the scripture reading is very obviously clear what needs to be done. And this is where we get into last week's sermon a little bit again and to delve into it a little bit more for this morning. We're told in Philippians chapter 2, and this is a passage that I referred to last week but did not actually read and spend time in. I want us to do that this morning because it plays a very key role in the reading of 1 Corinthians 9 as well as the lesson this morning. So I want you to look at Philippians 2. I want you to read with me from verse 1. We're going to read through verse 8 and get back to these verses 3 and 4, dealing with how this mind is going to be essential to us having the kind of growth, whether you're here in Franklin or wherever you are right now, that this is the kind of mind that we're going to have to have to bring success in the body of Christ, at least to have us honoring God and God bringing us that very success. So Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 1 again. The Apostle Paul continues and says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. That text says everything that we need to have if we're going to share the gospel with those who are in this world, particularly when you start opening your mouth and sharing about Jesus and they have ideas or words that oppose the very message that you give. And those very things that take place when you share the gospel and and be it through the blessing of God, a number of them turn to the Lord that those very individuals will still have ideas and words that will oppose where you're at in your walk with the Lord. That's the reality of what takes place in the body of Christ. I don't care what congregation you came from and are here with us today, or if you've come from the world and you're just visiting with us today, that's a reality. That's because we're all different. We need to have the mind of Christ and putting others and their interest ahead of our own. That's called love. In fact, that's what love looks like. This is the kind of love that the Apostle Paul is mentioning in 1 Corinthians 9 that was read for us when he said, I became all things to all men that possibly some might be saved. That's the thing that we're looking at this morning. The lesson is going to be pretty quick, but I just wanted to get this, this aspect of that, that mindset that we need to have. And I want you to consider these things because I'm going to bring some elements of what goes on in the work here into this mindset and the reason why I believe the, the church will grow and continue to grow for the glory of God. And I pray that if you don't do this where you're at, that you by all means practice this. It's essential. The Apostle Paul said to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Interesting that the Apostle, who is a Jew himself, is saying this as if he's not a Jew. He was born a Jew, right? Sat even at the feet of Gamaliel. And yet, here is the Apostle Paul, a Jewish man, saying to the Jews, I became as a Jew. In other words, he is striving to say a message that is very abundantly clear when he's saying, I'm all things to all men. Look at what he means by that, among other things. The Apostle Paul would, as was his custom, go on the Sabbath to the local synagogue, wherever he went on his travels. In fact, from Acts chapter um, chapter 9, verse 20, 13, 14, 16, every, every passage in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, referencing his travels, typically refers to him going to the synagogue if there was one. And he would go into the synagogues and share the gospel of Jesus with them. I can imagine what a typical synagogue service would have been like in the first century because when you are a visitor, it was very common 
that visitors would be asked to share something. And I could see him taking advantage of that opportunity, which was our sermon two weeks ago. So when the opportunities arise, he would say, all right, here's my chance to share Jesus Christ with them. Knowing that these were Jews among whom would not believe that this Jesus who had recently died was their savior. And he's sharing that to these people who rejected him as the Messiah. And so with that mindset that they're looking for the Messiah, Jesus said, I'm telling you, this Jesus is the Messiah. And he would try to relate with them and to them as much as was able or he was able so that some of these Jews would in fact turn to Jesus. And clearly the scriptures make that um, abundant that many of them turned. Although there are many that did not, he understood that if I'm going to reach them, I'm going to have to go into their synagogues. Now, does that sound strange today? Because you give me the opportunity, I'll go into any location to preach the gospel. And I'll share with you some of those locations after this because we're going to get to some other um, groups in just a bit. But that's what he did. He went to people who had a mindset that was very skewed from a historical traditional standpoint and shared Jesus with them. Many of these became his own brothers and sisters in Christ, among whom he had difficulties with. We can go back to Acts chapter 13 following and then see it unfold in Acts chapter 15 with the, with the Jerusalem council where knowing that many of them were of a Jewish mindset would struggle with some of the ideas of Christianity. But he became all things to all men so that some would be saved. He did it to win Jews. To those who were under the law, those who had a mindset of the law, who even felt justified through the law for their salvation, he tried his very best to be as one who was under the law. In fact, we can look at his life and we see that because of the conscience being so tied to the law, he would be sensitive to these brethren. Acts chapter 16, he had Timothy. Timothy, whose father was a Greek and whose mother was Jew, um, because of the cultural view that because his mother was a Jew, he would have as a, as a child, and particularly a male child, his mother's lineage of inheritance. And being that this had a Jewish mindset that they look at this child of a, a Jewish mom, he knew there are going to be some that would want him or feel the necessity of Timothy being circumcised. So Paul had him circumcised. Even though Timothy did not need to be circumcised as far as the law was concerned, as far as Jesus was concerned. But because of the mindset of those under the law, he did that. In fact, we can see Paul himself practicing the Old Testament law when he put himself under an oath, right? A vow, whether, you, whether it's the Numbers chapter 6, um, vow of the Nazarite or whatever it was, he was under a vow according to the law. And so we can see him trying to reach those who are under the law so that those who are with that mindset would be saved. Well, we go on to the next group. To those outside the law, he said, I became as one outside the law. And what's interesting is sometimes with our modern mindsets, we might actually look at a text like this and going, what does that mean? He became like a sinner, like did things outside the law, being a rebel of the law. That's, of course, that's not his point. In fact, in the parenthetical of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, look at what the, I don't know if this was in the text itself or added, but look at what it says over here. 
One more time. In verse um, 21. To those who are without law as without law, and in, in, quote, in the parenthetical, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. I mean, you would think that that wouldn't have to have been said. I mean, he's given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ to look like him, to walk like him, to live like him. So he's not going to do anything contrary to him. Not on purpose, at least. But the caveat is there. In a lawful way, I'm going to be as one who is without law. And so the first thing I think of is a Gentile. You know, a Gentile is, is not obligated to be under the law of Moses. And, of course, we could look back at Titus's life. When Titus, as a Gentile, was traveling with him, he made sure that no one was going to bind circumcision on Titus. Different setup, different scenario. In Acts chapter 17, after Paul had traveled through um, Thessalonica and Berea, he comes to Athens. And what does he see in Athens? All of this idolatry and all this sophistry. And doesn't preach to them as if he was preaching to Jews or preach to those as if they were under the law of Moses. Completely different group of people that he's with. This week on Wednesday morning, I'm going to be talking to an elementary school um, on Wednesday morning and I get the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus Christ how wonderful an opportunity I would not give a sermon like I am doing right now <laughs> I would want it to be on that level that a five-year-old can come away with completely understanding the message being presented to that five-year-old and so you do the same thing and so he is with those who are outside the law as one who's outside the law, so that some would be saved. And then to those who were weak, he became as weak, that he would win some of the weak. In fact, that very statement he gives is in light of what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You could read it in Romans 14. And all we have to do is just look it to our left and right. And that's what you're going to have here. You're going to have those who are with their conscience weak. In other words, defiled. Not defiled in a bad, evil way, but defiled in a way that believes that here is something that by, by the liberty and freedoms that we have in Christ, they would be able to participate in, but because of their conscience being defiled, he says, to those I became as one of them. And there are many scriptures that we can read. In fact, the Apostle Paul was saying in the latter part of Chapter 8, look at verse 13. If food makes my brother stumble, and this was a brother who was um, qualified as one whose conscience was defiled, whose conscience was weak, he said, I'll never eat meat again. If it causes him to stumble, because to the weak I became as one who is weak, that I might win the weak. And go to the other passage in Romans 14, which is very um, much what we were discussing last week. Notice this again, very similar to Romans I mean, excuse me, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at Romans 14, the latter part of the passage. In light of this mindset, he says this in verse 14 following. Romans 14, 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. You destroy, or you do, do not destroy, he says, with your food, the one for whom 
Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. In fact, he was saying this is a person who stands before God, verse 4, and God is able to make him stand. Therefore, verse 19, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. The food naturally is not the issue in the mind of the one who is going to judge a brother who's going to eat meats that have been offered to idols. They're thinking it's sin, but the subject matter is the food. Whether you eat it or not eat it, he said, do it unto the Lord both to the church at Corinth as well as at Rome. And so in other words, what Paul is saying is, I'm going to do whatever I can in my walk with the Lord to be all things to all men so that some would be saved. And this idea of some may be saved is not just from an evangelistic standpoint, but in my relationship with my brethren. Well, what does all this mean? The whole part of our walk as being Christians, brethren, is that souls be saved. If you look at the church bulletin on the front top left part of the bulletin, it says changing the world one precious soul at a time. That in effect is what we personally, individualistically, in addition to collectively, are engaged in. But that means that we have relationships, and that's the hardest part of this whole walk, our relationships. Because as soon as I step off this pulpit, guaranteed, there's some statement that I've already said in the first 15 minutes that someone would have disagreed with something I've said. I don't know what it is because I agree with everything I say. <laughs> but you may not. And therein lies the difficulty of being in Christ. And how do you deal with each other? How do you relate with each other? Because you have people who come from this world, especially when you start opening your mouth and sharing the gospel outside of these walls, who don't think like you. Who view many things, not some things, but many things differently than you. And it's not enough, again, as I've mentioned before, and this is where I'm dealing with this now. It's not enough for us simply to go to everyone who looks like me and acts like me and share the gospel with just them. It's with all the world, right? That means we have would-be brothers and sisters in Christ with a different ethnic background. Different cultural background. Some of whom have never heard of Jesus. And that includes, we have a sister in Christ who's now about two years old, th almost three years old, who never heard of Jesus, never heard of the Bible and is now your sister in Christ. She was an Indian. No, I take that back. That was, I'm sorry. I'm mixing two stories at once. The Indian didn't know about Jesus or the Bible. The atheist did. <laughs> My bad. But she's your sister in Christ, the atheist, from a background that she has. What I'm saying is, you're going to be having to deal with her now. Then you take your other brother or sister in Christ who could be a drug dealer of whom we shared the gospel with here. 
a former prostitute, a murderer, a child molester, a rapist, a drug addict. Brethren, the list goes on and it gets wider. Homosexuality, transgender. When we start opening our eyes to those who are struggling in this world, dying in their sins, our hearts have got to be wide open. And sometimes we want to impose my personal views and forget these passages that we've just read about being all things to all men that some may be saved. We may actually turn them back to the world when we've saying we love you and we want to share the gospel with you. I get it. We can still talk about sin. Sin is still going to be sin. But you have people who are coming from different backgrounds and you're going to have to work with them. If the family of God is to get back and to have this evangelistic mindset and a mindset then that, that says, okay, now we've got those who we've shared the gospel with, of which, what, in the last four years, at least going into the jails, we've had about 150 baptisms. You're looking at a lot of different kinds of lifestyles. And while many of them do not worship with us for a variety of reasons, we still have some that do. How do we deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ with such different backgrounds? Paul said, as the apostle, who's dealing with brethren at Corinth over issues that dealt with money, along with immoral issues, along with simply being worldly-minded, he said this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself. It was a conscientious decision to be a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I have become all things to all men, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Whether it's here at Franklin, or at Brookdale, right? where we could have a Catholic and a Baptist and a Lutheran and a Methodist all coming together to study and open up God's word. I do it with the mindset that the Apostle Paul has taught us. My question is, do you do it? Right? In other words, we can continue to say, oh, this is it, this is the way it is, I'm going... By the way, you have to get into that mode, first of all. <laughs> you can hunker down, or you can say, I'm going to take that risk and do what Paul did. And that's kind of scary. There are ramifications, there are consequences, and things may get ugly. That's just the reality of growing pains. But it comes when you love precious souls. In the history of churches, I don't care what label you put on them, if you want to say churches of Christ, or you can get into all what other names that you can come up with. Every congregation believes itself to be a church that belongs to Jesus Christ goes through these same problems. Guarantee it. 
I, I get to talk to a lot of people from various denominations that will say, yeah, we deal with this. There was just a church I heard about two weeks ago, a Methodist church, going through various problems about what, what they should or shouldn't do and, and, and fighting over stuff. Are you practicing this as a believer of Jesus Christ where you become all things to all people that some would be saved? Do you do it because you're interested in their soul being saved? Think about it. You're interested in their soul being saved. Sometimes it's more about my soul being saved and not about theirs. Paul says, remember, put their interest above yours. Do not look out for your own interest. I mean, you still need to look out for your interest, but for the interest of others. And are you doing it? This is the beautiful part. This is where the gospel is less of a duty and more of a desire. Do you want to do it because you want to share the blessings of the gospel with them? What a different perspective. Instead of, you know, I got to be a faithful Christian. I got to go knock on doors or whatever it is, whatever we decide is the best way to go out and evangelize. Or do you actually have a desire to share good news with those who come to know Jesus Christ? The older I get, the more beautiful the glorious gospel becomes in sharing it with others. It really is beautiful. And you get to see lives that are so dark because of sin and sin's past transformed. And you see a person cursing like a sailor to blessing the name of God and using their tongue to build up those who would call upon the name of the Lord. How beautiful. You have someone, because I have a brother and sister in Christ who are co-drug dealers that I can think of right now, who are selling drugs and now selling the name of Christ. Just amazing. And doing it while on fire for the Lord. And just on a daily basis between, well, I don't know where Kenny, where you are, there you are, Kenny, between Kenny and me getting about, I don't know how many you get, Kenny, but I get about one or two, three, five a day now, <laughs> text messages or calls from a new brother in Christ, right, who's just been released and uh, on fire for the Lord, encouraging Mitch, Mitch, you, you pray and you pray hard. Because I love the Lord and I want to be faithful to him. That's what happens when you're all things to all people. You get that kind of zeal and desire of growth in the kingdom of our Lord. Are you striving for that? Our invitation song that we have this morning is that there is power in the blood. I want you to stop and think about the reality of this power. It is the very blood that died for the enemies of the cross. The very enemies who now are children of God, you and me. We were enemies. And now we can go out, if we're going to tr strive to be all things to all men, and reach our enemies, reach the enemies of our God, that they may turn into not enemies, but brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus Christ through the blood that was shed for them and for us, that we may all be one in Christ Jesus.
That's the ministry that we have. That is a biblical, gospel, um, vitally important ministry if the church is to reach the lost and build up the saved. So take these words to heart. And by all means, God bless you in everything you do to serve the Lord. If you're here this morning and you want to be added to the kingdom of our Lord, I'm assuming we've got this baptistry all ready to go. Water is there. It's actually a little warm. <laughs> Makes it easy, convenient, right? First world problems we've got if, it, if it's not cold, if it's not warm. But we've got the baptistry ready. If you want to be buried with Jesus, to rise to walk in newness of life. Or if you want to ask for our prayers because you are struggling with sin. You're struggling because you're not walking worthy of that calling. Maybe it's because you've been denying the very power of Jesus Christ to work in your life. By all means, this is an opportunity for you to come forward in whatever, whatever need you have as together we stand and sing.